open my Google document. Awesome. All right. So I'm speaking on Peter today. Um, my year kind of crescendos mid, no, late November, early December. So preparing this at this time of year was a little bit tricky. Um, I have a lot of grace for Nick doing it week on, week off. Um, so I was doing a little bit of that. So that's amazing that you do this every week because it's not very, not easy at all. Um, I'm reading, as Taylor very well read out from the very beginning, from Philippians 4, verse 4 to 9. I'll read it again for everyone. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say it. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, noble, right, and pure, whatever is lovely and admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Does anyone read that uh, and struggle not to sing those little bits of lines? Does anyone have a kids' church moment and say, whatever is true, whatever is lovely? That's what I struggled not to do when I read through that. Um, I want to take us back to 2014 uh, to start. Um, 2014 was the year after Livy and I got married. Um, so this is a story about us. We Not that Livy remembers it. I was telling her about it and she couldn't quite remember, so that's fine. Um, but we were both studying at the time. I was in my first year of radiography. Livy was in her second year of early childhood training. And we were living in Palmy and Chelwood Street. Um, behind John O'Roth's place. He had a little one-bedroom place down the back, John and Alicia. And uh, if, as students, we had any money to go out and do anything, we'd go out and have a meal. And the meals uh, that we'd go to in Palmy, the two places that we'd usually pick between were noodles and dumplings and the Thai house. Um, anyone else fans of either of them? Yeah, cool. Woo! Um, and I remember this particular evening we went with noodles and dumplings. Um, so we went in there... When we go out, when you, get, uh, when you get married, you learn very quickly about each other. And I learned with Olivia, especially through dating, that if you go out to any Asian restaurant, it's very easy to pick for her. It's chicken and cashew nut on rice, and it still is chicken and cashew nut on rice to this day. It's, it's a good meal, yeah. <laughs> so I was in line, I ordered that, and then very selfishly, I ordered something quite spicy that I knew that she wouldn't want to share with me. So I knew that my meal was protected and that I could have some of hers if she didn't finish. So that was very good for me. Um, and then I remember ordering it, going and sitting at the table, and then as anyone does in a married couple, you go and just chat about life. Um, I remember we'd just talk about anything from the kids we wanted to have, where we wanted to live, houses we wanted to build or buy. You have these wonderful dreams. Um, and then from newlyweds to maybe the fact that I come from a family of five boys, why is there so much hair in the drain that I have to pull out in the morning in the shower? Um, that's kind of how conversations can go, which is quite nice. But I remember sitting there with Livy, going through this conversation, then out of the corner of my eye, in the line of noodles and dumplings, I see a familiar but also not so familiar face. And I remember I had three options in that very moment. The first one was to go and say hi to this person, get up from my meal, uh, and our conversation, go and say hi, tick the box, say, how you doing? And then come back and uh, continue our conversation. Uh, second was to wait for that person and me to have eye contact and then I'd go and uh, do the same box ticking exercise um, and then come back to number three 
was um, I could stay where I was, avoid eye contact at all costs with this person while quietly pointing out to Livy who this person was over my shoulder um, in an attempt to not draw attention to myself, um, and followed closely by a sharp argument, oh, sorry, a sharp encouragement, not argument, encouragement <laughs> <laughs> from Livy as to why talking to them is probably a good thing to do. Um, but obviously I ignore that advice altogether and I go with option three and I decide to stay where I was and keep my head down, pull my collar up just a little bit. And I remember letting that person uh, walk straight out and that person was actually, I'm very park, was very parky, I would now say this differently, but that was my second cousin. So that, I would just say cousin now, coming from Livy's Spano. Um, but yeah, I let my second cousin walk straight out and I thought, yes, cool, I've avoided a conversation which probably would have taken 20 seconds. Um, but then it made for the rest of the meal to be a little bit interesting because my wife was perplexed as, why on earth did you not talk to your blood relative? That just <laughs> seems so wrong and so backwards. Um, has anyone else avoided people for the sake of not wanting to have a five-second conversation? I'm sure, I'm sure we all have. Yeah. Um, so I'm talking about Philippians uh, 4, um, and I just wanted to give you a little bit of context and a little bit of background uh, to Paul, who wrote this epistle. Um, I wrote this very long, and I realize I'm heavily interested in this, but I'm going to give a little bit of a brief uh, update of how we get, uh, Paul got to writing Philippians. So, um, has anyone got in the back of their Bibles, you got those little maps? And I remember reading them as a kid, and I was like, man, these are so cool. And I had no idea what they actually related to. Um, this is one of the ones similar to the back of the ones we've got in our Bibles. Um, Paul has this wonderful transformation, then he goes on a mission trip with Barnabas, and that's his first, oh, I don't want to knock over Dudie's guitar, I'll come on this um, that's his first journey, and he goes around um, Upper Syria into what we call modern-day Turkey, and they cruise back down to Jerusalem, and that's a two-year trip, and that's really successful, and they've gone through Jews and Gentiles, seen Holy Spirit move, and seen him work, and they're so encouraged um, down in Jerusalem after they produce their report that they decide to cruise off and do it again. Uh, but this time they separate because they want to take different people, so they have a disagreement and they go separate ways. So Paul goes with uh, Silas from Jerusalem. He goes up Syria, um, and he goes in through Turkey, and he gets to this place called Iconium, and that's where they pick up Timothy um, on the way. So Timothy's the author of First and Second Timothy. Um, and you can see this bit here. They, they intend to get up into this area here, which is called Bithynia, um, but they take this kind of, their intention is there, but they take a sharp downward left turn over towards Troas, but here it says in Acts 15, no, 16, sorry, that uh, the Spirit of God, Jesus, would not allow them to go in there. So they're being obedient to the Spirit and not going there. Paul has a dream here that of a man over in this Macedonia region saying, come and help us, come and help me. And in the morning, he explains that to uh, uh, Silas and to Timothy, and they'll agree that's God. So they go over here, and they get to this place called Philippi, which is what... Philippians is written to that church. So in terms of the background to Philippi and Macedonia, Macedonia is a Roman colony, so the Romans uh, kind of tolerate Jews and they tolerate Christians because they don't actually cause much of a ruckus. Um, they don't cause a stir, they let them do their thing because they're not interrupting their own way of life very much. Um, but Paul goes there with this message that is very new that Jesus is king um, and king over um, the Caesar, or whoever's at the time, which is totally countercultural, and that's actually ruffling some feathers. And then he's also coming with this message, but he's coming with the Holy Spirit, and he's actually performing signs and miracles, and the 
uh, thing that causes him and Silas to be put into prison is when he de- delivers this young girl from her um, demonic oppression that she's got. But she was actually able to fortune tell with it, so it actually stopped a Roman family from having income. So that was, okay, you've gone a step too far. We'll throw you in prison. Um, so we all know the story. Paul and Silas are in prison. Uh, they're praising and worshipping God all throughout the night. Uh, the people, the other uh, prisoners are all experiencing this wonderful message and they're all having their hearts stirred towards God and then there's this massive earthquake um, and that's God's response to their praise. They're like, actually, I know you guys have a wonderful, I've, I've got a wonderful call for your life. I want you not to be trapped there. Uh, then, So all the cell doors fly open. Everyone stays where they are. That's a testament to God's goodness through what they're doing just in that moment and then they go out and they plant the church uh, encourage Jews and Gentiles, and they have this. Uh, uh, they start a form and start a wonderful uh, community there, and in amongst this Roman Empire, where it's all about status, it's all about what you look like, what you have, wh- what you sound like, how you fit in with them, rather than how they fit in around you. Um, so then Paul cruises back, and he does this trip. He's got. There's only got two here, but it's four in total. The second one is very similar. He goes back through all these places. He's planting churches. He goes back and encourages these same churches the second time. And he's planting churches again. Then the third one, he ends up going all the way through. This is Italy just here for people that are geographically challenged. It's my wife and uh, my sister-in-law. This is Italy. (laughs) This is Italy here. And he ends up in Rome. And the book of Philippians is written out of another Roman prison cell because he's been doing this process 14 years in a row going, causing a stir, being obedient to Jesus, being thrown in prison for what he's doing against the Romans and actually against the Jews sometimes. And he gets released on many occasions because of the goodness of God. And uh, then he goes and keeps doing it because he knows it's the right thing to do and he ends up in Rome. And he hears uh, that the Philippian church is struggling with the culture and the way of life that uh, they were a part of. And his, uh, that's where the letter comes from, an encouragement to them. Um, so I'll go to, yeah, it's an encouragement to them, and Philippians was one of the stronger churches that he planted, and he wanted to be a, do an encouragement for them to keep searching towards peace together, because he knows that together these guys are so much stronger. So at the start, um, I want to break this into kind of three little parts. It says, rejoice and praise, uh, sorry, my little excerpt is, the title is Rejoice and Praise God Together in Unity. So firstly, he urges the Philippians in verse 4 to 5 to rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say it, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Um, this is written so clearly because Paul wants to encourage them as a church not to be succumbed by the pride of status around them, um, but he wants... Uh, yeah, he, he wants them to know that a united church that loves Jesus is so much stronger and that that will give them the uh, energy and it will give them the endurance and the faith to keep going and be countercultural in the culture that they're currently a part of. And it links back to um, Jesus' words in John 13. It says, a new commandment, I, I might have that actually. Yeah, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, for you have love for one another. One another. Um, 
it's clear that Jesus and Paul have the same thing, and Paul, uh, it's something he writes in, I don't know where it is, um, but it says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Paul's whole life is an imitation of what Jesus displayed and what he showed, and that's what he's um, doing in this letter as well. He wants everyone to be loving each other beyond the uh, constraints and the confinements of their society because their love for each other um, during that tension and during that hardship actually produces peace and it produces um, love that is evident for other people around them to see and that is much stronger than any words you can actually um, share yourself and that kind of links in with the Lord's Prayer where it says at the start um, our Father who art in heaven hallowed be your name our Father is very collective it's all together and then the hallowed be your name is glorifying Jesus and putting him first um, then number yeah, the second part is number two and three. Um, number two and three, I kind of want to, they're going to blend together a little bit, but the first is to pray and thank the Lord in all situations, which is here. Um, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And then the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Um, who knows that Jesus spent as much time alone as he did in community, they were, uh, they were they matched each other very well. We did the um, practicing the way. We've been doing practicing the way, and John Mark Comer in the first solitude one just has a very simple line graph. Up one side is demand, and one side is um, solitude, and it's, it, it matches perfectly. And that's the the mirror that Jesus has for us. That um, he knows uh, that when he's in greater demand, he actually needs to go into greater solitude and greater peace. Um, and greater communion with the Father. And the example that I have of that is in the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, in Matthew 26, Garden of Gethsemane is just before Jesus is about to get um, captured, just before he's about to be thrown into prison and then put on trial and obviously ultimately die. And Jesus knows all this. And he doesn't just um, accept it. He goes off to pray. So he goes off into that solitude and that quiet place and his statement in Matthew 26 is this. He says, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. And that's actually Jesus declaring that the stuff that I'm going through, that I know I'm going to go through, is too hard, and I don't want to do it. Um, I would prefer it be taken from me and someone else that does it. Um, but we know that that's not the case. Um, I'll continue with that in a second. But in Psalm 23... Um, I've got Psalm 23. Yeah, cool. So I've got the entire one there. I won't read it all, but the part I want to use is, but you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. And it says, yeah, from the table, you anoint our head with oil and our cup overflows. Um, oil in uh, the Bible has a few representations, but one of them is the Holy Spirit and the presence of God. And as Jesus prayed in Gethsemane for his cup to be taken from him, God's response isn't, yeah, I'll grab it and I'll take it from you. It's actually to fill it with himself. He fills it with oil. He fills it and anoints his head with the Holy Spirit. Um, so that, like it says in Galatians 5.22, so that his love, joy, and his peace will be on Jesus so that he knows um, he can walk through his burden, walk through holding his cup with Jesus with him, uh, with God with him the whole way. Because the after Jesus said, may this cup be taken from me, he also says, yet not as I will, but as you will. Um, 
and that's, that's the way and that's the posture we can come to before God. Um, we need to be open to be corrected and humble. We come with requests. We don't actually come with demands. Um, and by coming with a request and coming lowly and humbly, we can come boldly and ask, but we know that God's going to give us the answer and we actually have to be okay with it. Um, and that is the invitation that Jesus has to follow his actions. Um, and that God uses the cup to reveal himself to us. And then, I think, did I skip that bit? I might have skipped that bit. Oh, no. Sorry. John 14. Yeah, it says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So like Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ, Jesus is saying, imitate me and you will find God. And that means we can come to in prayer. Um, we can, uh, can come to the Father with our requests and with our stuff um, and let his peace come upon us. And if that means God's going to want to take away some of that stuff, sweet as, but if it means God's more often than not going to anoint our heads with oil and fill us with himself um, in that space. And then the last kind of bit of it, Philippians 4, 4-9, um, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Um, I love in Matthew 5, um, it is the Beatitudes, uh, at the start of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Um, has anyone seen The Chosen? Has anyone seen? Yeah. The Chosen is um, obviously a wonderful um, series it's about Jesus and his life. Um, and Jesus actually, as he's writing this to Matthew, he titles um, the Beatitudes as a map of where people can find me. And in Matthew 5, uh, 9, it says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. And everyone knows in a peace sermon, you've got to do the distinction between peacemakers and peacekeepers. Um, the difference, a peacekeeper will try and make peace no matter what, between uh, two sides, reconciling, uh, not reconciling, sorry, but uh, coming to a false sense of peace because they just don't want conflict to happen anymore. Peacemakers go into it and they might cause a fuss like Paul did, um, but know that that's where true life and understanding comes from. Um, everyone, has anyone done a personality test before? Has anyone done any of them? Yeah. Um, Livy's very uh, into them and I by being married to her, I ha I'm into them as well. Um, <laughs> which is, it's a statement, but it's all, yeah, yeah. But it is actually true. I am starting to learn them and enjoy them. Um, and we know Alex and Nellie are as well. So that was, that was fun when we first met them. But the one that we got to do recently was called, I think it was called Cloverleaf, and it just has nine categories. Uh, Enneagrams, yes, thank, yeah, Enneagram, uh, Cloverleaf, and it has nine categories and nine personality types, and it, you go through this 15 to 20 minute quiz, asking you stuff about yourself, and then it roughly categorizes you into one of them that you're the strongest in, and I don't have an image for it, uh, but the one that I am is called the peacemaker, so I'm a nine, um, and Livy, you're a six, and a loyalist, is that what it's called? Yeah. Um, but the, my, the title of the nine is a peacemaker, but the sentence that follows in terms of when it starts to describe it, they don't, they don't link up very well. Um, the, the sentence is that there are nine is motivated by the need to keep the peace, to connect with others, and to avoid conflict. So the peacemaker 
and peacekeeper thing come into play there. Um, and it is really true in a sense um, that for me, I know I'm most at peace when there's no fighting around me and there's no disturbances, um, but that's not, um, that's not where true peace comes from. Um, and I learned that. That's what I shared at camp uh, a while ago. I was struggling, and if I kept that to myself, I would not have um, had the vulnerability of being encouraged enough to even say anything at camp. I really wanted to, um, I needed to be open and vulnerable to be okay with myself to share what I was struggling with and let other people come and bring peace to me by being that encouragement. And that's what uh, we all really need to do as well. And one thing that Livy has helped with me lots, being a peacemaker, um, is that Livy is not afraid of feelings at all. <laughs> she, she's, yeah, nature and nurture comes into play there. Um, but Livy is very good at uh, getting out of me what I'm struggling to feel myself. And even this morning was a bit of an example of that, which is good. But uh, a line that she shared with me a couple of weeks ago, a couple of months ago, I should say, is that um, I need you to get angry to show me that you care, because if you don't get angry and shop showing me your emotions, then it makes her think that I don't care about it. And that's something that we have to be okay with ourselves. I need to be okay with sharing my pain and then also my frustration um, in situations, because it shows people around me that I care. And it doesn't mean I'm just going up to Livy and just, I don't know, letting loose. I'm doing it in a kind and caring way and I'm showing her what's really going on inside me and being vulnerable for her to come and fill me and encourage me and for me to do the same re response and reverse to her. Um, and that process, is, it is a long process and next Thursday is our 10 year wedding anniversary. Yeah, which is pretty amazing and um, I can't attribute uh, heaps of it to me. I'm getting really, really good in this. <laughs> but I'm getting better. Um, but as we reminisce and look back over our lives, um, it's really wonderful, and we can see all the, the good and the bad, the highs and the lows, but one thing we come to a little bit of a discussion point about, uh, or maybe a realisation is, um, is did we think back to our wedding day, or the day of, or around there, and we go, do we actually really love each other back when we got married? And I don't know if anyone else who's been married for a while thinks the same thing, as you look back through your life and your marriage, because you hadn't back then gone through the stuff that you've gone through together to get to where you are now, sometimes it can seem in comparison like you didn't really love each other a huge amount back then compared to where you are now. And that's what it feels like for, for me and Livy sometimes. I know I love Livy so, so much. And yeah, in comparison to how I feel about Livy now, we go, oh, well, did we just like each other when we got married? <laughs> um, but, and that might be the same in 10, 15, 20 years' time. When we look back to where we are at 10 years, we might go, do we really love each other back then? Because we know we're going to keep through and keep being vulnerable together and keep loving each other and keep being peacemakers together so that in 20 years' time, we'll look back and have gone through that much more and have come to a new depth and a new uh, level of love that we wouldn't had the opportunity to go through yet. Um, and the encouragement in this is that God actually is a peacemaker. He's not a peacekeeper. You can see it heaps and heaps of times through the Bible. Um, four quick ones. Um, and obviously God 
brings it up in a healthy way a lot of the time. His anger, um, one is Jesus' anger towards the Jews in the temple. You know, he goes, he's got a trading market. He just goes in, I might do it, it's on fire, but you know, he flips, <laughs> flips, flips the tables over and he's like, this is my father's house. Um, how dare you desecrate it the way you are? Um, obviously, God's ten plagues against Egypt. God causes conflict um, as he punishes Cain in Genesis 4 for what he did to his brother. And then the way he stepped into conflict in Paul's life, uh, Paul was murdering Christians. And then Paul, uh, God goes and makes him blind. He causes conflict and ruffles feathers in Paul's life to send him on his way and to create um, a wonderful man of God and to, to move together. And that's, um, that's God's heart, and that's his heart for us as well, that um, he wants us to keep um, stepping into relationship with him and keep loving him um, so that we may continue to be obedient the way Paul was to his word. And, um, yeah, sometimes our relationship with Jesus may not feel all that amazing. Um, perhaps, perhaps that you feel towards Jesus the way I did towards my second cousin at the very start of this. Uh, start of this. Um, you, may have, you may prefer to keep your head down. You may prefer to avoid eye contact, and you may prefer to... Um, yeah, just avoid them at all costs because of many, many reasons, but often it's because of shame or it's because of regret or it's because of unfamiliarity. Sometimes we avoid conversations with God because it's been so long and we don't want to go through the awkward uh, getting to know you phase again, in a way, and waiting for God. But the, that's, that's all on us. But the good part about God is that he doesn't come in the same way my second cousin does. He doesn't come into a room and just stand in line and not notice us. What he actually does, as, uh, as Psalm 23 says, he grabs a table and pulls it up right next to us and quietly puts two chairs there, and he fills the table with wonderful goodness of a feast and a meal that he wants us to sit and enjoy with him. And to quote Amy from last uh, week, it's about 100 billion times better than we could ever imagine. But often we sit there and uh, are too busy to even notice he's done that. But what God wants us to do is to come and grab a seat, put our phone away, put our stuff to the side, and just look and gaze on him and be filled with his goodness and filled with his love so that his oil and his Holy Spirit may anoint our heads and fill our cups with what we're going through. And, I mean, lightly, that relates to the Christmas season. We all get way too busy to think of God and uh, to... Uh, we get busier and then we decline in our time that we spend with Jesus. But as Jesus reflected, as we get busier, we actually need to get busier with Jesus. And we actually need to sit at that table more and be filled with his Holy Spirit because the bucket leaks. We all leak from his Holy Spirit and we don't carry him as well um, in this time. And we need to get better at being filled with him and coming, in, coming to him day to day. Um, and... I mean, it's, it's all well and good to say that, but also how do, you, how do we know that Jesus actually wants to be with us? It's because so many years ago he came down off his throne um, at the right hand of the Father to be a child. He came down from his position of glory to become flesh, and not just flesh, but a baby. He came lowly and humbly, and he came so that we may know him and then also know the Father through him. And in that knowing we, that we may imitate his actions and instructions, which is where the God of peace will meet us. 
The Prince of Peace comes to show us a path to walk that will lead to the presence with God, with the God of peace. And as I, oh, I've skipped a few things. Let me go back through it. As I end, I just want to leave two quick verses that I think are very apt for this time of year and very, very powerful for myself. That in James 4 verse 8, if we want peace, we must draw, draw near to God that he will draw near to us. In Isaiah 9 verse 6, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Yeah. So, yeah, that's, that's me um, and what I'm going to share this morning, and I'll pass it on to you guys if you wanted to do anything with it. But I thought I'd just pray, um, and um, then we can go on with the rest of the morning. Um, yeah, do you guys want to stand? Um, Father God, we thank you that uh, in this time, and you've reflected over so many uh, millennia, Lord, that you are a wonderful, good, and loving God. And you've shown your heart that you want to be with us, and that you want to love us, and that you want to know us, and that in reverse, you want us to know you and carry your presence with us in what we're going through. And Father, I just um, ask this morning, would your presence come, and would your Holy Spirit come and fill everyone afresh? And Lord, would your gifts of the Spirit, Lord, would your love, your joy, and your peace come and fill everyone afresh this morning so that the stuff that they are holding on to in this time, the work, uh, the Christmas parties, the presents, the family stuff, Lord, would all of that become lighter in your presence? And would your peace go before us and beside us and carry us through? And would we not forget to come and sit at your table because you're sitting there waiting so patiently for us to come and do the same? Mm-hmm.